to this week's episode of Unfortunately Required Reading. Hello. For for my birthday month, we uh, went with a short story because not that I'm lazy. There's just a lot to unpack. It's I, I'm not going to say lazy. Uh, it's a weird time of year. I, I go home to visit my family exactly once a year unless there is a death. And uh, the schedules have been schedules. So we are covering An Occurrence at All Creek Bridge by Ambrose Bierce. Who was an asshole. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. I mean, there, nobody's fighting you on that one. I wish someone would. I wish you would. He was a, a hilarious asshole. Is that is that a pass? Is that an excuse? No, there's no passes. Okay. No, we, we there's a lot of stuff to unpack later on. <laughs> there's too, frankly, there's too much stuff to unpack. So short story long, which surprisingly, I kind of feel like I made this longer than the story itself. Are we going to go over what we're drinking? Oh, yeah. What are we drinking? Uh, so we're drinking uh, Brandy Santa Gris, which is a 1700s uh, punch made with brandy and with port. Oh, that's strong. I haven't even tried it yet. I can just smell it. Yeah, she's strong. I like it, though. That's really good, actually. Thank you. Uh, I messed up with the proportions because I like my drinks a little bit sweeter and I think it cuts a lot of that strength. Uh, mostly because in the Devil's Dictionary, which I think we're covering a little bit, uh, Ambrose Beers has a definition for brandy that I think is one of the best things that I have ever read. You can just scroll over. I always forget that that's a You can just... No, on the bottom? You can just... Hi. Hi. There we go. So... Beers has a definition of brandy in the Devil's Dictionary, which is satirical, and we need to preface with that. But his definition of brandy, noun, a cordial composed on one part thunder and lightning, one part remorse, two parts bloody murder, one part death, hell, and the grave, and four parts clarified Satan. That sounds about right. So, of course, we're drinking brandy out of spite. Uh, and then he also had a definition of port that I didn't list. I think it's on, like, one of my notes at home. Uh... But he didn't quite like port. He found wine to be great. Uh, so might as well mix the two in a cocktail from the 1700s, which is slightly before his time, but eh, fuck it. <laughs> I did my best. He survived the Civil War. We're okay. We also have a champagne cheddar on the cheese plate. I'm really excited with about With a Pugliese loaf, because Puglio in Latin means fight me. So it's a fight me it's loaf. It's a fight me loaf. Which is like the most appropriate Ambrose Spears thing I could think of. The champagne cheddar is not bad. It's really good. There's champagne in the cheese curds. There it is, right at the back. So I was like, I don't get it. And right at the back, it's right there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lip on this cheese now. <laughs> I feel like this podcast was just an excuse for Tori to have me over and make cocktails and get cheese. I feel like this is an excuse for us to be bougie for, like, at least an hour every couple weeks. This is a lifestyle for me. It doesn't stop for you. I'm wearing shiny pants. So, <laughs> because you can't see us, and I'm refusing to take a picture today, unless Amanda wants a picture of herself. No. <laughs> um, Amanda's got these very shiny, awesome leggings on, which are, like, silver shiny. Mm -hmm. And her purple Made of Magic shirt, which is a, a favorite for the show. It, it's a favorite for every... There was a while where, like, every time I was out with Tori, I was in this shirt. Like, people are going to think I have no clothes. I, however, am currently wearing... Two Harry Potter things. Yes. Slytherin sleep pants that have holes in them from years of use. And a shirt that I made that sa it says in all caps, Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? And then underneath, Dumbledore asked calmly. Um, because it was a big joke between one of my friends at 
uh, my previous employer, not to throw anybody under the bus. Um, and And also on Tumblr in general. Yes. Oh yeah. All over the internet. (laughs) So it became a big thing for any time our boss would like send out a really angry email and then be like, hi guys. Um, so it was kind of like our, our big joke of Dumbledore asked calmly. So (laughs) can we just acknowledge that maybe, uh, the movies weren't always perfect. I don't know you, it's almost impossible to fully embrace the work of an author on screen. But I do think the movies are better in a lot of places. They are more cohesive in a lot of places. Um, there's some stuff that Miss um, Rowling likes to include that is incredible detail. And I, I know where she's coming from because it's like you create this world in your head and you want that to be there. Um, but the the attention span of a child doesn't necessarily embrace all those details. I love you going to bat for Aunt Jo. I, I literally have listened to the audiobooks again and again and again now as kind of like they're my comfort thing. And I'll pick something up every time. But it's a little bit like Tolkien. Um, I'm going to get smacked by some Tolkien people. Where you pick up different details about the world every time. And you get where they're, they've done their building and their creation. And that's where. But that then you also be. see it as a moment of temporary failure. Sometimes. Because I have that a little bit with Game of Thrones. Oh, oh I don't have time to go into Martin's work. I don't either. Very intense. I'm just going to say this, and we'll actually talk about the book after this. Uh, off the rails. Uh, my thing with writing is that there's always, a, it's a choice. And so much of that stuff, I just felt like, especially with Game of Thrones, like, that wasn't necessary. Well, a lot of people are angry, too, because, what is the last book? I want to say it's like Winds of Wonder or something. Something fancy sounding. I don't know. It has been pending for several years now. And um, I, I can't imagine being as editor and as publisher, because they're probably just like over the love of Pete. And hoping he doesn't die. Um, Yeah, because I have a feeling it's going to be different than what we got with the end of the show. You think he's going to like, he's going to pull a Harper Lee and like die suddenly and then? No, I think he's going to put out a book that's different in a lot of regards. Um, And I think he's probably going back and going, I don't like how this turned out, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't live in his house or talk to him. So let's talk about Ambrose Pierce. Yeah. Short story long. Short story long. It occurs in Owl Creek Bridge. Peyton Farquhar, which I cannot take this name seriously. I don't think anyone can. Is a plantation owner and civilian about to be hung from a railroad bridge. This takes place during the Civil War, and he has been caught by the Union trying to sabotage a bridge. Six military men and infantrymen are present and guarding the bridge while the sentence is to be carried out. He focuses on a loud noise. It's really driving him crazy, but he realizes it's only the ticking of his watch. He thinks about jumping off the bridge if he can get his hands free, but before he can do anything, the noose is dropped. Peyton has a flashback to a night he was relaxing with his wife, not his husband. I was going to leave that there <laughs> because I just cackled. I'm like, is he gay? <laughs> I don't oh, think no. I read this part. <laughs> A Confederate soldier, supposedly, stops by and mentions that the Union has seized an Owl Creek Railroad bridge and repaired it, meaning that they're going to be able to bring in new supplies. And the soldier casually mentions that Peyton could totally burn the bridge down if he could sneak past the guards. What we find out later is the soldier is actually a Union scout dressed up 
Um, and he knows very well that if anybody from the Confederacy is caught messing with the railroad, they will be hanged. So back in present time, Peyton feels the rope around his neck break. He freezes hands, pulls away his noose, swims away to avoid cannon fire and bullets. After the gunplay, he begins to travel 30 miles home. He walks all day through a forest that seems endless. He sees weird constellations and people whispering in a language he doesn't know. He keeps thinking about his wife and children, and then that just won't. He just can't stop. He finally makes it to the gate of his plantation. As he rushes to embrace his wife, he feels a heavy, low weight on his neck, a loud noise, and then all is darkness and silence. He has never escaped, but rather the noose has finally broken his neck. I read this in 10th grade and was like, holy shit. I read this as an adult. I'm sorry, you had to read this in 10th grade. I No, I thought it was incredible in 10th grade. Eh. Um, I Because we had been reading a lot of random stuff, but a lot of it was just the, how did I miss that? How did I miss that? How did I miss that? Now reading a lot of mystery and thriller and stuff like that, you know, you start figuring out five pages and, oh, it was this guy. But at, from that innocent perspective at a younger age, no concept. Yeah. I mean, there were so many things that I missed reading this in 10th grade that now going back, I'm like, oh, well, yeah. I mean, he's in this forest and there's all these weird constellations and people keep whispering. Yeah, he's dead. But like, never picked that up in 10th grade. Yeah, I don't think you have the mental fortitude to do so. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was a, so for me, I guess that book was all quiet on the Western Front. Yes. Whereas like, I read that in ninth grade. Yeah, I, I think that they make kids read that way too young. Oh, absolutely. Because there's so much to unpack in that book. We'll have to do that at some point in time, I think. Oh, you're like, no. I mean, okay. we can. We can. We do have to start planning for 2020. We do. I mean, it's it's not the worst book I've ever read. But, like, yeah, like, as a ninth grader, I wasn't emotionally prepared. And we always accept suggestions. So We don't all, no, we do not always accept suggestions. You're welcome to give them. But whether they are heard or received is up to us. This is Welcome to Night Vale, and this is not a democracy. (laughs) This is Welcome to the Republic. I've been watching Star Wars all weekend. Okay. Yes. I can make references as often. Maybe I shouldn't, though. I've been watching Star Wars all weekend, including the prequels, which I forgot were bad. Because I'm a soft prequel apologist. Very soft. But then I was re-watching, like, Attack of the Clones, and I was like, oh, there's just nothing redeemable about this. I need to, um add you to my family account for Disney Plus so you can watch Mandalorian. I don't really want to watch the Mandalorian because the memes have been too good. Oh, okay. Have you seen the one where it's Baby Yoda playing uh, Africa by Toto? Not yet. Yeah, that's the best. Uh, we're not talking about the book. Okay. Okay, sorry. <laughs> we're. I was going over our old episodes because I'm a raging narcissist. Um, and to hype myself up, I listen to myself uh, because I guess I'm a 90s pop star. And I was listening to old episodes, and I'm like, we aggressively run. I, we, we are burning calories of how far we run from books. I mean, like, we, we're preparing for a marathon for how far we run from the books. I mean, in all fairness, our audience does seem to like it sometimes. Thank you, audience. Thank, Thank you, audience, you for, for listening us. to us. Even though I think us talking about actual books is maybe 50%. And that's being generous. <laughs> maybe 50%. I'm sure there's people out there who are like me listening to other podcasts about books and being like, okay, I don't have time for your personal BS. Like, This I- isn't personal. Anakin Skywalker is not kin.
Oh my gosh, my husband sent me the worst meme with Jesus and Anakin Skywalker, and we are not going into that. I mean, you I have told, to know. I told him he's basically going straight to hell. It's got a picture of Jesus, and he's sitting there talking to the group. And it just says over it. And then I told him, Anakin, I have the high ground. That's perfect. And I got so mad at him, but I'm like, first of all, straight to hell. All right. All right. Let's go into some symbols. Symbols. Hanging. Start with the bottom. Oh, okay. I'm going to throw you off. You did. Uh, Although it's very weird to say hanging to a um, person of color. Yeah, it is. It's weird now that you said it. I didn't think anything of it until you said it. Um, but it was a white person that got... Uh, I know it's over a hanged or hung. Hanged is what we're supposed to say because it's execution. Hung is what you refer to when you're talking about guys. No, I didn't know that. Am I wrong? I don't know. Am I a deviant? Well, yes. I'm kind of excited now to know that that's how you tell the difference. Okay! Yay! Because, uh, yeah, it's like hanged until dead. I'm going to change that now the stockings were hanged by the chimney with care i mean i think you can still use like hung for like other things but like i think for the act of noose stuff it's hanged i think i don't know a lot about it um clearly so as a symbol it's weird because as a means of execution it's actually one of our oldest Mm -hmm. um we have lots of historical record of gallows and um, other platforms and stuff in which we hang people. The thing with hanging is that it looks like it's a very imprecise art, but it's actually a very precise art. You want to have a hangman who's done this before. And one who's not drunk. Yes, one who's not drunk. And a platform that is high enough. So basically, him being hung is really, or hanged. I don't know. It's how, irrelevant. I don't want to know about it, him being hung. Um, Maybe I don't know if that was in, like, Bierce's notes. Anyway, he's off of a bridge that's just been repaired. It's not super fancy. It's basically them throwing a rope over the thing. Um, But it will give him the leverage that is needed. Because the big thing is, is that if you don't have the leverage or the tinsel strength, then you just suffocate. Yeah. And... That's miserable. The whole thing is you want your neck to break as soon as possible yeah, so that you're out. Which leads me to a tangent, which is maybe one of my favorite execution devices, which is the Halifax gibbet. So it was a precursor to the guillotine. It was basically like this blunt, almost rock-like thing that was very, very popular. I'm pretty sure in the UK, actually, like Scotland and Ireland. And it was like almost like a blunt guillotine that seems like break the neck. So you're laying on your back and he's like, poof, like rock on the neck and then you die. Human beings are weird. I mean, it worked. It was efficient. That was the problem. I mean, so was a rock to the head, usually. Not always. You have to know what you're doing. Some people have bad throws. Yeet. (laughs) Yeet. (laughs) We're going to hell. We're going to hell. Bodies of water. So. Unless, are we still talking about. I'm done talking about hanging. (laughs) Do we need to discuss more of it? You die. Um, You die. It's painful. It's awful. uh, I mean, there are some, like, historical. So there is a historical precedence of like hanging being this kind of like dramatic thing. So we do talk about uh, execution as like public display. Mm-hmm. So like them hanging him rather than just shooting him is intentionally making this blood sport because they could have just shot the motherfucker. And I think that has to do with why there's so many people on the bridge. With right. Him. Uh, because at this time, 
and really up until even now, because like you can still uh, view some executions in Texas. What? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, Huntsville, before they had a party for Old Sparky, their electric chair, like they still allowed a shocking amount of just like randos to walk in and view executions. Damn. And then they realized like, hey, this might not be a good idea. But uh, Old Sparky was our electric chair at Huntsville, and they had a retirement party for him where there was a cake. Because Texas. Yeah, because Texas. Um, so this is still making it a spectacle. Because, like, realistically, they could have just shot the motherfucker. Like, they're, this is the Civil War. We had ways to get rid of him. So to make it this spectacle was making an example out of him. And you see that to make this black and uncomfortable with lynching. Where it's done intentionally in public places and intentionally gruesome to show a message. It's to be terrifying and to scare people. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm definitely not going to give Ambrose Bierce enough credit for that. But as a black person, that really resonates with me. Because when you hang someone publicly, it is done as a way to, one, show dominance of that area. And to to deny that human being their humanity and dignity and death. Which we will talk about later. Yeah. Um. The bridge is very interesting, especially in the concept of how the book ends. Um, The concept of bridging from one stage of life to another and him being very confused in the middle of it. Yes. Um, Same. Yeah. (laughs) Same. Um, Bodies of water are often involved in mythology, especially for transitions of life and death. Mm -hmm. Um, They're also deep and unknown and... And terrifying. Terrifying. Like... When he goes into the water in his vision, he's at first scared he's going to drown. And then once he figures out that he can get his hands free, then he's then he worries about the bullets. Right. Um, but also, this isn't a theme or a symbol, but like historical note, uh, bridges and train stuff during the Civil War is intense and crazy. Uh, one of the good Crash Course episodes about this is about railroads. Uh, during the Civil War, because, like, trains played such a key part in winning the Civil War. Making sure that supplies got across, troops got Mm -hmm. across. And the places that didn't have good train access were the places that lost, i.e. the South. Interesting note, Ambrose Bierce absolutely hated the railway system because they were defrauding the government. Um, He was, at one point in time, sent by William Randolph Hearst to Washington, D.C. to cover this, um, this case where the railroads had teamed up to kind of ask Congress to forgive a massive loan that they had. And he, Bierce was out front and the guy who owned one of the railroads came up and goes, what's your price? And he didn't respond because obviously he was like horrified. So he publicly wrote in the paper, my price is, I think he said it was like 72 million delivered to my friend, the U S or the U S department or U S department of treasury or something. Um, you can find the exact wording on the internet. I'm sorry, guys. But it was amazing. He he hated corruption. He hated the train system. He hated all of that. So I don't think it's an accident that this was a bridge with a train track and that killing his a, character was trying yeah. to destroy it. Right, and yeah. killing a proud southern plantation owner. Well, he was also from the north, so fierce. I don't, but, but, he, but he romanticizes the south in a way that I don't like. It does feel a little Django Unchained in places where it's like, but are you trying to make this bad? And that's something we can go into with themes. Yes. Southern heritage and pride. Okay, 
So I'm very Southern, as we've said every episode. Uh, my family's history goes back across many Southern states, including Mississippi and Alabama. And by heritage, I mean, that's where we were slaves. Let's be real. <laughs> you know, it's that time of year where everyone's like, do an ancestry test. It's like, why? No, thank you. No, thanks. To do what? To figure out what part of Africa my people were absconded from? Like, why? Uh, but um, I've always been very, very proud of being Southern. I'm not proud of what the South has done. And you can see in literature during this time and in people during this time, and even now, let's be frank, of saying that like slavery is a part of Southern heritage and that being a plantation owner and all those things were things to be proud of. And there's this weird and horrible disconnect between acknowledging that you're Southern and just flat out ignoring the painful legacy of the past. Like if I see one more, I'm going to be really, really angry black, basic ass Southern plantation wedding. Oh my God, I know. And it's a big thing out here. It's such a big thing. And it's just like, it's just so gross to me. What I always find horrifying from the Caucasian perspective is that you hear a lot of the, well, yeah, we had slaves, but we treated them well. And I'm like, okay, so you provided room and board, but you also had their independence. Yeah, they also weren't people. They weren't people to you. They, they were, were They were a pet that can work. Yeah. It, it's like there's, you can't own a human being. With dignity. With dignity. Yeah, there's, there's no situation. Just because they don't poison your food, it doesn't mean they're not unhappy yeah like just just because they didn't you know have a full haitian revolt in your backyard every two weeks does not mean that it was okay um and i get it that it's a hard legacy to stomach i understand that i also don't care at this stage because we're we're at a point now where you have to know that this stuff was bad and you can still be a Southerner and still be a proud Southerner and acknowledge that what the South did was garbage mm -hmm. and is still garbage. Now, I'm at the stage where a lot of this stuff is, to me, it's an indicator. Because if you are willing to double down on that kind of stuff, you, you, you understand that it was a race thing. You just don't want to acknowledge it. Uh, my my favorite thing, and by favorite, I mean the thing that makes me the most angry is uh, people who think that the Civil War was not caused by slavery. And that's fascinating, too, especially what is um, taught out here yep. is a lot of times the Civil War is still referred to as the War of Northern Aggression. That time the Northerners got a little too uppity. But just remember this, the Confederacy fired the first shots. We did. And by we, I mean the South. I was not a part of the Confederacy. Thankfully, you didn't exist yet. No, I'm a small brown deviant. I would not have lasted long. I'm, I'm an outspoken woman. I would have been stoned unless mm -hmm. I was rich. In all fairness, I am on the lighter spectrum. I might have been inside. I might have been allowed to stay inside. <laughs> I mean, your knife cuts are on point. Yeah. Useful inside. Um, but let's not do that, okay? Let's not do that. Um... But yeah, 
and even though Beerus is a damn Yankee, he does still write this from a perspective of, uh, have you seen that last week tonight video about the Confederacy? Mm-mm. So John Oliver does a great deep dive about the Confederacy and like Confederate monuments, which is amazing. Uh, he, Beerus seems to take the guise of all those people in that video who are just like, but this is my heritage. Your heritage was racism. And that's, what's kind of fascinating too is the concept. A lot of people are like, well, the North won. The North, they were all good. Mm, racism is alive and well in the North as well, folks. Yeah. Um, it just comes under different guises. Yeah. Um, Abraham Lincoln was not a saint. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. No, the Emancipation Proclamation was actually mostly to just piss off the South. Which achieved. 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 Um, Goal accomplished. Nobody, I hate to say it, but nobody really cared. You know, like, we call him the Great Emancipator. Yeah. Um, but people had been doing so much work to try and rescue people from bondage. Good terminology. <sighs> like it. But also, uh, Texas cared because we didn't free our slaves until much later. Well, what's interesting, too, is he actually, or Beerce actually worked for an abolitionist newspaper when he was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and seemed to retain none of those lessons? I don't know, man. It's, I think it's it's that subtle, not even that subtle, racism that grows up and unless you learn the life lessons of other people and talk to other people and not just stay in your bubble, I think... I'm going to drop a serious continues. truth bomb. At this time... Fundamentally, the idea of black bodies being human was foreign. So even most abolitionists were still using very racist rhetoric. Oh, absolutely. Like because then you you turn them in, you infantilize them. Like, oh, these poor these poor Browns. We have to keep them safe. Like it's why we have Liberia, which is a horribly failed disaster that turned into a beautiful place. Where they're just gonna drop off all the Africans here. You're free. But these are people who are sometimes now like second, third generation african-american at this stage and you just drop them off in africa you're not helping um realistically i mean there are still people that wish to deny the humanity of african-americans that number is much less most people mostly exist on the internet now um but like the idea the idea uh, of these people being people was just a radical concept of one of the quotes that i always go back to when it comes to feminism is feminism is the radical notion that women are people like i think for Beers, he has all the trappings of being that, like, white abolitionist, you know, ahead of his time thinker, but all still in the dressings of a gross old racist man. And that's something, too, <clears throat> we even find now with things like the Me Too movement and how many people who have benefited from feminism are still making fun of it. Yeah. Um, uh, sexual assault is never fun. Like, no. it's just not funny. I, um, I've personally received a lot of threats. Um, I will never go into what has actually happened to me because it's nobody's business but my own. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's ridiculous the way that we treat human beings like they're just animals. Yeah. But, um, um, you see that a lot of people of color, Native yeah. Americans, women still. Yeah. We try, but we try still. But um, I do think that there are ways to be Southern and proud and not be racist. Like mm-hmm. I'm, for me, being Southern is about being polite and taking care of each other and the family and honor 
It has and nothing. being an amazing hostess. Yeah, and being an amazing hostess and being a great cook and a great baker and being generous with time, but knowing when to pull back. Like, to be Southern is to be Slytherin. Very much. Like, <laughs> to or to be Olena Tyrell. Yes. Um, like, there are ways to be Southern and not deny brown people their humanity. Mm-hmm. Like, you can be Southern and not be racist. It is possible. You do not need to decorate your table with um, those cotton balls. In- if I see one more fucking cotton stock inside someone's house's decoration, I'm going to beat you with it. I mean, at least it's a soft beating. Right? I don't give a fuck and a half. <laughs> that Hobby Lobby ass decoration. I got this. I'm very angry. That is, you want to talk about something amazing, irrationally angry is people who use cotton branches as decoration. That pisses me off so much. I want to just like, I just want to like go and like dip it in red paint, like in Django Unchained. Like, here's your fucking cotton stock. You enjoy that shit. I just turned into a very angry black person. Amanda, we're not going to Hobby Lobby. I No, I, I was at the line in Joanne's and I was talking to... No, I was at um World Market. And there was this lady behind me. Because like, the line was crazy. It's right before Christmas. The line was crazy at World Market. And the lady was like, have you ever been to the... Have you ever been... Do you shop at Hobby Lobby? I'm like, I don't shop there. Just like, dead ass. Like, I'm not going into why... But I'm like, I don't shop there. I, don't, I will not give them my dollars. I'm still fascinated by it. There was a whole news story a few years a year ago, I guess. Time is where, a myth. Time is a myth. Um, where they had gotten caught importing artifacts from all these like sites in the Middle East. And I'm going, okay, Indiana Jones. Like, what the hell is this shit? I'm still kind of excited about it. I want to know what they brought back. I don't. I want to know if it was a Nokian tablet. Probably. Oh, I'm excited because I get to go into Ambrose Pearson's conspiracy theory in a little bit. Oh, God damn it. Okay. Uh, but more themes. Dignity and death. Yeah, so the whole idea that, like, you can die with dignity or, like, that facing execution, like, with bravery or whatever, or running away, it's honestly, it's all dumb to me. Because the whole point of executing someone publicly is to deny them their humanity, to deny them that dignity. Uh, so you'll hear stories of like Henry Henry VIII's wives, like oh, and they faced death with a you know calm face, like she was probably drunk and just gave up. Like there's no dignity in the face of dying like that. Didn't Anne Boleyn like hire a a swordist? Yeah, she, she paid extra her. money to have a French swordsman come in. And uh, she was the most cleanly executed. She was like, I don't know what my husband does. He's a dumbass. Anyway. Well, it wasn't even that. It was just like the the executioners back then were just, they were historically drunk. And they were using very blunt instruments. And you get these scenarios where like it's taking multiple blows to take off a head. And you're just like, it's not effective. And it's more painful. Because like realistically, decapitation and even hanging should be pretty instantaneous. Um... The look Tori just gave me. It should be pretty instantaneous. It should be quick. What? Yeah, well, sometimes it's not. <clears throat> like, you get all these horror stories of, like, yeah. hangings gone awry and, like... Just telling you guys that part in uh, The Mummy, the remake with Brendan Fraser. That, that, no. Or, um, I do really like that... Oh, what is it? It was a Netflix special. It was a bunch of different country shorts, but there's that... One with James Franco, who I don't like, but I love the whole, 
he's going to get hung. He, Ballad hangs. of Buster Scruggs? Yeah, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And the rope breaks, and then the next time he's going to go be hanged, and it he's like, first time, and it makes me happy. Why don't you like James Harden? Um, because he's a manipulative little shit that has sexually violated many, many women. Okay, that's valid. Okay, accept an answer. Um, so the, so the idea of like, oh, well, he, you know, this, uh, Jerry Stew, Southern male power fantasy. What, I'm not using his name. Okay, so every time I say Farquhar, all I can think of is Shrek. Yeah, that's Um, all I think of. That's all I can think of is this tiny little man running around. As a, this house will rise again. That's all I see. That's just, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so there is no dignity in death, only death. Just this is kind of like the worst version of It's a Wonderful Life of All Time. No, it's not. <laughs> don't even stop. Uh, you want to talk about the banality of war? Every time a racist is hanged, an angel gets his wings. Yeah, it's actually not false. The banality of war. This is the episode where Amanda goes like full black panther just goes like black separate. <laughs> so Ambrose Bierce um was in the Civil War. He yes, was, he was on the side of the Union. Yes, he was. Even though um, apparently he didn't like it. Yeah, he, he hated war. Um a lot of what they were doing was hurry up and wait. So they would fight a battle and then go hang out in the woods for like five weeks. That sounds great. And so he would go for walks and stuff like that. And that's where you get a lot of his scenery. Yeah, summer camp. Summer camp. But like, he wrote a lot about the Battle of Shiloh. And a lot of his inspiration came from the fact that he's in the middle of these battles. And you can't just walk away from that being normal. Um, Hemingway. Huh? Hemingway. Hemingway. Um, He definitely, uh, what's interesting is that this story, and, and you had included this note, is an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, it sounds like a basic newspaper article of like, oh, okay, well, this thing happened. It's not that big of a deal. Right, rather than a motherfucker was hanged at this bridge. Yeah. Like, I would like to write the new historical landmarkers. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so you're driving around Texas and you'll see this on like any time it's like a smaller highway or even some of the major ones, I guess. But there are these plaques of what happened there. And they're usually, I mean, they're interesting, but they're usually pretty bland. Like, you, you're not really looking for it. It's not like a big sign of somebody died here. But you'll be driving and you're like, oh, what does that say? Oh, there was a horrible massacre of natives here. Okay. My, like, fa- my favorite is the Lost Mormon Colony of Zodiac. What? Yeah. How do I not know that one? How do you not know that one? All right, well, I got to do some research. Yeah, there was, a Lost Mormon, there was a Lost Mormon Colony outside of New Braunfels, actually. Um, near, between like Fredericksburg and New Braunfels, just like a colony of Mormons, and I think like the ancient aliens Roanoke colony to just like vanish. Whoa! Yeah, I was gonna ask you if this is like a Roanoke thing. It was a Roanoke thing. Like it was just a bunch of Mormons, and they were all cool, and like it was uh, Zodiac, Texas, and then they vanished. Dude, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be doing some reading about this. Or there was a Cologne, which used to be a slaughterhouse town run by black people, and they called it Cologne because it did not smell good. We also have a lot of instances in Texas of um, massacres of the local people of color, which are then constantly rewritten as, oh, no, 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 they provoked white people. But my favorite is the Tour de Union, uh, which is a Civil War monument in South Texas where a bunch of Germans fought for the Union because they said, we're going to save these brown people. And it was wonderful. So the Tour de Union statue is an obelisk 
where a bunch of brave Germans were like, we're going to save these brown people, and then we're going to forget this lesson in about 100 years. In about 100 years, fuck all these good feelings. Fuck all these good feelings in particular. Yes. Uh, so there is this whole banality of war thing. You see this a lot with World War II as well, uh, where it's like, when you read a lot of literature about like World War One and World War Two, it's like, oh, well, it was just like a normal day for us, and then like the planes came. Um, I think the only good example of this is uh, that episode of Doctor Who, where they go back in time and they're trying to find like, are there any strange occurrences in the sky? But it's during like the Blitzkrieg or whatever. The only good thing that Moffat's ever done outside of that horrible Jekyll and Hyde show. Oh, I remember that show now. It was so bad. I had a hard time because um, one of the actresses in it was in Coupling. And she was also by Moffat. Yes. He, I, I, like, I like his comedy, even though it's kind of insulting. Anyway, it was moving a on. Time. It was a different time. We don't it like Steve Moffat, and we don't know how we feel about his gay Dracula. So here's the thing. I love River Song doctor who used to cosplay her as her all the time hardcore i do not feel that that character got to pan out the way that she deserved all right moving on so i saw you open that door and promptly close it on me oh i started to open the door and then i was like no we don't we don't have time for this rant we don't have time so you have a note in here too about your last theme i do have a note in here where beers has a statement bad readers 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 who, lacking the habit of analysis, lack also the faculty of discrimination and take whatever is put before them with the broad, blind catholicity of a stop-fed conscience of a parlor pig. And I said, who are you calling a blind Catholic, Ambrose? I want to know more about this parlor pig. I would also like to know about a parlor pig, because that sounds like a... That sounds like a lot lizard. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Don't look up lot lizard on your work computer. Do it incognito mode. I have to do that at work. <laughs> I, I might have to give up my place as a head boy of Slytherin, because I'm also a bad influence. You're a very bad influence. Am I the worst influence? No, because Ambrose Bierce helped influence H.P. Lovecraft. I'll explain how. Uh, let us know in the comments below, which of us do you think is the worst influence? So... You you had put some notes in here about reception, so I was putting influence as well. So Stephen Crane, who ended up writing Red Badge of Courage, really loved this short story. He said that it had everything, and he ended up using it as an inspiration for his book. Um, A fan fiction, got it. Basically fan fiction, yeah. The story was first published in Stories of Soldiers and Civilians, as like the big collection of his short stories. Um, they ended up being really popular. I want to say his name is Robert Chambers maybe Richard Chambers, I apologize for that, who wrote a book called The King in Yellow. Um, The King in Yellow is one of those horror collections that if you're paying attention, you can see a lot of the influence of Bierce in it. What's interesting is that influence ended up transferring over to H.P. Lovecraft as well. So a lot of the weird supernatural elements that you see in Bierce's short stories Translated over to Chambers, translated over to H.P. Lovecraft. Do we need to talk about those weird super, like, because technically an argument can be made that this is one of, like, the first examples of, like, sci-fi and stuff like that. But, but not, though. But not. (laughs) Um, Bierce was... I'm trying, okay? Bierce was very unique because he wrote stories of war, he wrote newspaper articles, he wrote 
a lot of nonfiction, but he also had a major boner for the supernatural. Um, he wrote a short story, and I have notes about it a little bit farther down, but it was about a young man who had gone out to go get water from the well during a snowstorm, and the next morning his family went out because they, they couldn't find him. He hadn't come back in, and his footprint stopped halfway to the well, and then the well had never been broken open, so there was proof that no one had thrown a bucket in there the night before. And it was it was a short story, and people believed it was real, and they would ask Pierce about it, and he'd say, oh, I don't know, it might have something to do with portals. He very much believed in ghosts. Um, he believed, well, he believed in the supernatural for sure. Um, he had a really good friend in England, and they had a pact that if one of them died, the other one should show a sign. And he actually was walking around Warwick Castle, and he said he sensed the presence of his friend, and that ended up becoming... Um, the inspiration for his story, The Damned Thing. Um, he... Which is what I say to your cat. Yes, our cat, my cat is the damned thing. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I wanted to make that joke. His references to the supernatural in his stories were not super commonplace at the time. It's not like nowadays where you can throw, you know, a stick and hit 18 books from uh, the Bram Stoker Awards. Why are you throwing... Sticks at books. I'm not throwing sticks at books. I love my books. Why, but, are, you, why are you walking um, into a Barnes Noble? And just... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do that now. I'm just going to walk into a Barnes Noble and throw a stick and watch me get kicked out. Um, I used to work for them a long, long time nice ago. Nice prefacing there, friend. But yeah, it his inspiration ended up going into a lot of other stuff. Um, Kurt Vonnegut wrote in 2005... Quote, I consider anybody a twerp who hasn't read The Greatest American Short Story, which is an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge by Ambrose Bierce. It isn't remotely political. It is a flawless example of American genius, like Sophisticated Lady by Duke Ellington or The Franklin Stove. First of all, Kurt, Mr. Vonnegut, if I may, shut the fuck up. He's not alive anymore. He's not? Uh-uh. <laughs> I, had a, I had a friend who... Genuine shock and surprise. I had a, a friend who met him. Um, he went to one of his signings. He kind of like snuck in from Washington State. And he dropped a carton of cigarettes in front of Kurt Vonnegut. And he goes, do you want me to sign this? He says, no, that's just for you. <laughs> Kurt's like, thank you. He's, he, I don't like Kurt Vonnegut very much. I'm sorry. I love Kurt Vonnegut. I know. One of, one of the books Tori wanted us to read was at Slaughterhouse Five, and I think I groaned so loudly that she took it off the list. I can hear you groaning from the other side of town. I just, I, I, I think he's, I think he's a bit of a blowhard. That's why it's so fun. You have a thing for these kinds of writers. I do, I uh, do. Um, that's why there's so much Hemingway shit on the shelf behind us. But I do think that that's something that's important to mention is that to white Uberminchy guys. Let's be real. Uh, this is a very important work of fiction. And then to brown people like me, this is just a, a, listening to an old man complain. Manuals at Cloud? Yeah. If I wanted this, I would go volunteer at a nursing home. <laughs> Back in my day, you people couldn't vote. You're right. You couldn't. <laughs> so here's a little bit about Ambrose Beerus. I've already given you some of this information. Yes. His full name, and this is like the most unfortunate middle name I've ever heard, Ambrose Gwinnett Bierce. I actually kind of like it. Gwinnett. I need to look that up. Um, he was born June 24th, 1842. Um, tying this back into the Scarlet Letter a little bit, other than the 
his relations to uh, folks who sailed over on the Mayflower inside the Mayflower Compact. He was the 10th of 13 children, all with A names. If you care, they were Abigail, Amelia, Anne, Addison, Aurelius, Augustus, Almeida, Andrew, Albert, Ambrose, Arthur, Adelia, and Aurelia. His dad had a major boner for A names. Um, he was born in a log cabin in Horse Cave Creek in Ohio. His parents were Marcus Aurelius Bierce and Laura Sherwood Bierce. His, and I had already mentioned his great-great-grandparents came over through the Puritan migration. Um, his family was super poor, but they were very big on the love of reading and writing and actually had the biggest library in town. Um, so from a very young age, Ambrose Bierce was reading the classics. His family ended up moving to Indiana, and he went to high school there. But at 15, he left to become a printer's devil, which is like the coolest name for just a printer's assistant. Um, he worked at an abolitionist newspaper in Ohio um, called the Northern Indianan. Um, Bierce joined the Union Army, Indian 9th Infantry, during the Civil War. He completed a bunch of rescues under fire. Um, he rescued a comrade who was shot at the Battle of Richmond. He was in the horrible Battle of Shiloh. And that ended up... Were there good battles? No, there were no good battles. Okay, just making sure. So, as mentioned before, a lot of his descriptions of landscape and a lot of the details come from basically him doing walks through the woods when they had their downtime. He received a traumatic brain injury at the Battle of Kennesaw Mountain. Surprise! Traumatic brain injuries ruined the day again. Um, He went on to marry Mary Molly Day on Christmas 1871, and they had three kids. Both of his sons died before he did. To go into a little bit of detail, his first son died after committing suicide, after being rejected by this girl who had married another guy. He shot the other guy, shot at the girl, grazed her ear. Then he went home, shot himself. So this poor girl ended up with an injury and her new husband died a few days later. And then... Bierce's son died a few days later. Which so, I'm sure she did not care about at all. Ultimate trauma. Um, then his other son died of pneumonia related to alcoholism because he was out drinking a lot. Um, so the only one who actually survived was his daughter, Helen. Good job, Ellen. Ambrose left his wife in 1888 after finding a letter that she was cheating on him, which can't blame her because he was never fucking home. But also... Love love these old-timey times where you can find a letter about being cheated on. Well, the funny thing was, evidently, they hadn't done anything, but he was, I want to say he was Danish, and I was going to text you, but it was like two in the morning when I was watching this. I would have not received that message, and okay. I would have gotten in the morning. Also, to go back, uh, Gwyneth is a Welsh surname. That sounds about right. That is uh, comes from a Welsh word for wheat. Wheat. Um... So they officially divorced in 1904, and I believe Molly died the year after. Um, Bierce was an agnostic his entire life. Um, he pissed off his parents by saying he didn't want to go to church anymore. Ooh. He had lifelong asthma. Same. He had fainting and irritability from his brain injury. And his caustic writing style ended up earning him the nickname Bitter Bierce when he was in England. I wouldn't call his writing style caustic. as just old man yells at cloud. Well, to us now, it's old manuals at club. Yeah, I guess like for the time, it was caustic. Back then, they were fanning themselves, going, oh, Lord. Yeah, but but for us now, it was just, Grandpa, you want an ad event. <laughs> so, Bierce ended up traveling at one point in time to San Francisco after resigning from the Army. 
He did a lot of work too for surveying. He did some surveying in South Dakota too, but that didn't work out because he thought he was going to get a bunch of gold and that didn't happen. Um, he worked for many San Francisco newsletters, including the Argonaut, the Overland Monthly, the Californian, and the Wasp. Um, he ended up getting recruited by William Randolph Hearst to come work for the Chronicle, which was hysterical because basically Hearst's dad was like, here, I bought this paper. It's for you now. And so he's like, I'm going to go introduce myself to a bunch of people. So he showed up at Bierce's house, knocked on the door and said, hey, I want you to come work for this newspaper. And he goes, well, who the hell are you? He's like a William Randolph Hearst. How the fuck you get in my house? (laughs) Why are you here? Um, He, we already talked a little bit about him going and doing that cover story for the trains. In 1900, he wrote a poem that jokingly foretold the assassination of President McKinley. And people accused him of calling for McKinley's assassination, which was super awkward because McKinley did end up being assassinated. And so when Hearst was running for governor at one point in time, this poem came back to haunt them both because they're like, oh, look, one of his employees wrote a poem about wanting to kill McKinley because everything is fair, you know, in politics. This is my favorite information. So he once wrote a fake book called The Dance of Death. He wrote it under a fake name and it was about how the waltz was designed to ruin people's morals and lives. And then he started writing columns under his own name, denouncing the book and saying it was stupid. And obviously this guy was an idiot. The best part was the Baptists loved this book and they ended up endorsing it, not realizing it was a hoax because they're like, no, the waltz truly is evil. It does feel like some of those like uh, 4chan and Reddit hoaxes, but like iPhones. Where it's like, yeah, if you put your iPhone in the microwave, you can charge it. And then it's just like two people being stupid. And it's like, put sugar in your gas tank. Don't do that. Um, evidently, and there's all these pictures of it too. He kept a human skull on his writing desk. Some said it's a skull of a friend. Some said it was a skull of an enemy. I choose to think it was like the Dresden files. And it was really just some guy who was like telling him what to do. I don't like that either way. No. Yeah. It's a little creepy. A little creepy. Yeah. We're, we're not keeping skulls. Um, I already talked about how he was a super shitty husband. Um, he straight up disappeared in 1914. And, like, she means literally. Yeah. He was in his 70s. I want to say he was, like, 71. And he told all these uh, newspapers, all these people, he goes, I am going to Mexico. I'm going to witness the revolution. And I'm going to join up with Pancho Villa. And everybody's like, ha, you're old. That's funny. Punchy in the shoulder. He's like, no, I'm freaking doing it. Um, There have been multiple things written about, you know, him maybe being assassinated by Pancho Villa's men being assassinated by the other side, um, being assassinated just for being in Mexico. Or just dying. Or just old. dying because he was in his 70s. Um, but it's crazy because there are all these rumors of letters that were sent back home to his daughter or family members about how he was going to die. and He knew he was going to die or he was planning to die or he had plans that he would only fulfill in Mexico. But then none of those letters are anywhere. Um, his daughter Helen said that that never happened. She doesn't know what the hell these people were talking about. There are some people who believe that with his involvement with the supernatural and portals, that maybe he joined up with his friend, who's the one who found the infamous crystal skull. Um, and maybe they were trying to do other stuff. And then it goes into a bunch of ancient aliens bullshit that is fascinating. Um, but you will fall down a rabbit hole and keep going. And I had to stop. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just say this old man died. 
Old man died. Sorry. Sorry to be boring. Old man died. Um, I'm going to include quite a few of the YouTube videos that I watched. Um, Wikipedia article. I didn't see anything from our favorites. Thug um, Notes? Thug Notes and uh, Crash Course on this. But there is some good Crash Course about yes. the Civil War. And about um, the railroads, which I'm going to put in as well. Yes. So our, our favorite question, did we have to read this in school? As stated before, yes. And it was honestly one of the only stories I enjoyed other than the Dorothy Parker stuff that I snuck read because my teacher didn't assign it. Uh, I did not have to read this in school uh, because I guess my teachers hated me. But also reading it now, uh, I don't like this book. I just, I, I, I don't know. I don't, as, as a literary critic, I don't usually like the whole, I'm too black for this. I think I'm too black for this. Like, I'm very much colored by, uh, bad pun. Because uh, I, I read the, gonna say shit. Good. <laughs> you, you couldn't. <laughs> uh, but like, I read the devil's dictionary before. And there's just so much like the N word and like that in there. That like, I think that really put a, damper on any good because i love the devil's dictionary in places uh when it's good and not mentioning the n-word and it's one of those things too that it's very hard to read in one sitting and just go through yeah. it's like okay i can see how you wrote this over a period of like three decades right um but i think like that did kind of i think i think for me beers is sort of like the modern nikola tesla where there's really two teslas there's like the reddit folk hero tesla and then there's the weird virgin dude who was kind of racist. Like, I think for me, Beers exists in two forms. Like, there's the quippy, funny guy who I imagine he would be. And then there's the bitter old white man. Who, who's who, an alcoholic. Who was an alcoholic yeah. and an asshat. So, I got to bring Tesla into this. That's something that always fascinates me, is, like, how, like, the internet rallied around, like, Tesla. And it's like, you know he was, like, a hardcore eugenicist, though. And then you bring that up and like, well, he wasn't like, but he was. And then there was that weird thing with the laser pigeon. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so towards the, how did I miss the laser pigeon? So towards the end of his life, uh, Tesla, who had no money because Edison was terrible. Edison was a massive yeah. asshole. Edison was terrible. So he had no money. He was living in a hotel off of like crackers and water. He was starving. He was dying. And he wrote of this pigeon that would visit him. And he said, and I loved this pigeon. And he said the pigeon had, like, glowing eyes. And, like, that pigeon was, like, his only friend as he was, like, dying and, like, being, like, poor and starving. So, like, Tesla and the, la and the laser pigeon is kind of a thing. Now I want that to be, like, a children's book. Tesla and the laser pigeon. I mean, it's a very sad book. He dies in the end. It's like a little match girl, but, like, for a sad inventor. This is why I'm not allowed to write children's books, because I'd be, like, <laughs> the abandoned town of Zodiac, like, yeah, and Tesla's, uh, and the thing is, people now don't think that the pigeon was real at all, because, like, at first it was, like, maybe it's, like, a real bird that, like, he, like, imagined parts of, like, the weird laser eyes, but, like, now people think that, like, he just completely hallucinated every part of this, and he was just, like, sad and alone and going crazy. Yeah, pretty much, just, like, Tesla went insane in his hotel room eating crackers and hallucinating a bird. Because he did not like women. And on that note... <laughs> <laughs> he didn't! He, like, would would avoid touching women's hands because he thought that, like, it deadened his creative ability. Like, I, mm, I have thoughts. I'm sorry. Part of me wonders... 
Jin got him. Okay, not the G-I-N, the D-G, or D-J-I-N. Long story, I've been listening to way too much of the Mysterious Universe podcast, which I love passionately and desperately. It's like a Jin spirit got to him. Yeah, between that and um, Hellier. Oh, no. You need to take a nap. I need a, I need a nap, maybe some cold medicine. Yeah, definitely, as we drink port and brandy. Important brandy is cold medicine. It is absolutely not cold medicine. I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying to get us not sued. Okay. So yeah, don't don't do what I ki- do, kids. So what are we reading next? We don't know because it's the end of the year. So, <laughs> in all honesty, our next episode is going to be a retrospective. Yes. Um, and then we will be coming out with a list of stuff, stuff, things stuff and things yeah we'll uh we'll be working behind the scenes to figure out what we're doing in january um special shout out to the bingeable podcast for giving us a suggestion thank you um on books we love suggestions um most we of don't, the time most of the time we won't necessarily choose all of them like we're not going to cover mind comp guys um who the fuck has suggested that nobody has suggested I was about- it. <laughs> listen i think of worst case scenarios it's my anxiety disorder um i was about to go ham i was like what the fuck not one of our listeners. I, I um, grew an extra foot tall. You were like, what? <laughs> um, so if you want to make a suggestion, we are on social media. We are. Um, we're on Unfortunately Required Reading on Facebook. Yep. Unfortunately RR on Twitter. All 540 something of us. Woo! Um, and the Twitter gets checked a lot more often because Amanda's amazing. I do my best. Um, it's my playground. Unfortunately Required on Instagram, which is where I kind of put weird pictures of stuff. And cocktails um, and cheese. And cocktails and cheese. Um, if you want to find our website, it's unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com. Mm-hmm. You will see a link to our uh, Redbubble store. So if you want to get merch for Christmas or anything like that, you can. Um, and we also have our email at unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, this was an interesting read. We'll say that. Yes. And um, on that note, for the kind of last time for this year, go read a book.